let's uh, recap what God uh, has said to us. Let's, before I even go any further, I had to consult my wife if she was sensing the same thing I was sensing um, as we were worshiping. And I asked Brian to, I was looking for a third confirmation, but I guess two would be enough. Um, out of the mouths of two or three witnesses, let the word be established. Amen. As we were worshiping, I, I got this sense. Now, I don't know if it is somebody you know, somebody very close to you. It might actually even be um, very, very close to home. But Psalm 127 verse 3 to 5 says this, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. And what I sensed the Lord saying to me was that somebody very close to you, very, very close to home, might even be stone throw away, has been praying for children. Okay? I want you to go back to them, and I want you to begin to prophesy in their lives so that they're going to have start, start having kids. Okay? God will settle the barren woman in a house full of children. And I needed to get a confirmation from my wife on that, but God is going to do it. Amen? He's going to do it. Praise God. Woof! I just felt... Ta-da! <clears throat> Praise God. Let's pray. God, settle your word. Settle your word. God, you have said out of the mouths of two or three witnesses, may a word be established. We thank you, God, for this prophetic word. And we pray that, God, the souls, the hearts to which it is meant to settle in, those hearts will be like fertile ground. And that they will begin to prophesy. Prophesy over their children. Prophesy, God. In Jesus' name, I pray that, God, you will make this, your word, come true. In Jesus' name, bring joy and laughter to those homes. In Jesus' name, we ask. Amen. 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 My wife and I have already named our children. We pray for our children every day. I pray for my kids. I lay my hands on my wife's stomach, and I pray for my kids by name. All right? Um, that is just something I, I believe. Um, they're going to be great warriors for Jesus. Hallelujah. Little crazy fellows, but they're going to be great, great warriors for Jesus. All righty. Uh, let's get started in Matthew chapter number 6, verse 31. Um, I'm sorry we don't have bulletins today. Our, our printer finally gave up on me. I managed to get it up and running a few weeks ago, but it wouldn't just obey me again. Um, and it, they needed to pray over it. <laughs> Should have done that. But let us recap. We're looking at re revisioning what God intends for his church that he calls his kingdom. Amen? Amen. Matthew 6, 31 to 33 says this. So don't worry about the things, about these things saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. For these dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. 
Today's trouble is enough for today. The implication of what Jesus is saying is that everything we pursue and strive for in order to survive is found in his kingdom. And we define the kingdom of God as God's rule, God's reign, God's dominion. When we seek God to rule over our lives and when we seek God's royal rule over our lives, everything else begins to fall in place. In fact, the message of the kingdom is so important to Jesus that he said in Luke 4.42 that this is the reason he came. Jesus did not come so that we can have nice buildings that we call churches. Though I love hanging out with everybody here, Jesus did not just come so that we might have a good time together. Jesus came so that you and I can actually affect the world and affect change in the world. Jesus said we are the light, we are the salt of the earth. Amen. And so today I want to look at God's kingdom, God's kingdom in the Gospels, God's kingdom as it is revealed in the Gospels. But before we even jump to that, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So then beg the, 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 begs the question, what is righteousness? Righteousness actually has to do with coming into line or agreement with authority, Okay. Jesus, and Jesus is the ultimate authority. He said, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and preach the gospel, right? When we say we are righteous, that means we are in agreement with Jesus' authority. Meaning, when we go against his authority, we are placing ourselves outside of the will of God. Okay? And then secondly, it means that we are in right relationship. We're in right standing with authority. Okay, that is righteousness, and it is very important. So righteousness qualifies us for the right to receive the benefits and privileges of the kingdom of God. You cannot receive the benefits and privileges of the kingdom of God if you're not in right standing with him. Amen? Okay, I just said a lot there, but we'll break it down in a few. So today I want to look at, look at God's kingdom vision in the Gospels. And the first thing I want us to realize is this. I have come to the sad realization that, and as I've been studying and reading a lot of books and history, I've come to understand very, very clearly that the, what we have in the Western world and the world over, really, because the gospel went out from the West to a lot of parts of the world, is that we have a Westernized gospel. We have a Westernized view of Jesus. I remember walking into the first church, my wife and I pastored in the back of the room. They had this nice big, blue, big picture of Jesus with blue eyes, nice white flowy hair. I'm like, oh, Jesus looks handsome, right? <laughs> I called him blue-eyed Jesus. But the fact of the matter is that Jesus was not blue-eyed. When he came to the earth, he looked very much like me. All right, he did. He looked like me. All right, I'm just putting it out there, people. All right. <laughs> so when Jesus came to earth, he, he was not uh, a Caucasian, uh, Anglo-Saxon, you know, person. No, Jesus, in fact, was very close to an Arab. All right. When you look at the world in which the Gospels are written, they are written in a world that is so far away from us. Iraq, Iran, Syria. Palestine, that is the land of the Bible. 
But what we have done is we have sanitized the gospel so that it can become acceptable to the Western palate. And so some of the things that Jesus says are very, very controversial when you put them in the context in which they were written. For example, do you know that when Jesus was born, there were other people that had declared to be Messiah before he declared to be Messiah? In fact, anybody who declared to be Messiah was actually bringing a death wish on their lives. Because Messiah was understood, especially by the Roman oppressors, as somebody who was going to come and usurp the power of Rome. So Messiahs had a huge bounty on their head. The punishment for being, or called a, for some being called a Messiah was crucifixion. Most of them were beheaded. So when Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I am the savior of the world, I am Messiah, and I am bringing a kingdom. That, those are fighting words. That's why when Jesus stands before Pilate, Pilate asks him and says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus does not deny it. He said, you have spoken rightly. But my kingdom is not of this world. Because if it were so, my disciples would rise up and fight for me. What was he saying? Your kingdom and my kingdom are so different. Your kingdom culture and my kingdom culture are so different. Your kingdom values and my kingdom values are so different. So then it begs the question, what exactly does the kingdom of Jesus look like? Because when we recapture that vision, we begin to change the world. We cannot change the world using the American gospel. We cannot. We can't. Hmm. Let me not get on my soapbox so early. But anyway, the first thing Jesus says about his king, not the first, but one of the first things he says is this. This is one of his values. Jesus welcomes and forgives sinners. Simple, profound. He welcomes and forgives sinners. Now, I want you to put that in the context in which it is written. He is writing or he is saying some of these things in the time of a high religious order of Pharisees, Sadducees, these people who are known to be experts of the law. They understood that a person cannot dwell in the presence of someone who's holy if they have sinned. But who does Jesus hang out with? Yeah. Let, let's qualify sinners. Prostitutes. Red light district people. Jesus hangs out with them. The lepers. When you were a leper, you were actually thrown out of your village and isolated to be with other lepers. Jesus didn't just accept and welcome lepers. He actually embraced them. He touched them. To touch a leper was to make yourself unclean. Jesus did not care. He says this in, in, in Matthew 9 verse 12. It says, when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. 
That's what he's saying. If you are healthy, I have not come for you. You're fine. Keep on running on your treadmill. <laughs> All right? I come for those people that know they got issues. They are sick and they need me. And he continues to say, then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call all those, who, I have not come to call all those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. If we are going to change the world, we must welcome sinners. The safest place gay people should have is the church. Now, your American gospel will say otherwise. Because it is rooted in self-righteousness that it stinks. If you want to change the world, you must begin to embrace sinners. Those that you think are sick should find refuge in the kingdom of God. Do you understand how radical that is? Yeah, listen. It goes against every sensibility that we have. And that repulsion that you feel is actually something that God feels. But God does not throw you away. He welcomes you just as you are. And he says, I can change you. That's what I believe. That is what Jesus believes. We need to get saved from the extremist gospel of the American world. It is extreme. And get back to the Bible. Because the Bible is so simple and straightforward. It's controversial. It is uncomfortable. But that is the space in which God is calling us to. Amen. And now if you think like it's getting hot in here. Woo. But he also forgives sinners. But listen. That's why here at Kingdom Life Church, we fundamentally believe this. Everyone can change. It's a fundamental belief and value that we hold. Everyone can change. You know what fascinates me? Is people who used to struggle with sin, all of a sudden get to a place of victory over that sin and begin to condemn others going through the same thing that they used to go through. I don't understand that. I just don't. I just don't. If you are asking God for so much mercy, you are messing up. But then you're like, oh, that person is going to hell. Look at her. Look at him. The same mercy that Jesus gave you and grace, that's the mercy and grace you should show them. Otherwise, you're just a hypocrite. Amen. That's why, listen, I know I'm jacked up. I know that. I'm not quick to judge people. I give people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you didn't really mean to say what you just said.
probably didn't, you didn't really mean to be a jerk because I can be a jerk at times. So I understand you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? God forgives me and I forgive you. It makes me uncomfortable, but I'm going to do this because Jesus did it for me. I will embrace and welcome you knowing that I've received the same grace and mercy from Jesus. Mm. But you see, the thing is, Jesus calls us to radical change because it is essential to enter the kingdom. What Jesus is not saying is stay doing what you are doing. Jesus is not saying that. In fact, he says in Matthew 7, 21, he says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of the, my Father in heaven will enter. That's why Jesus would embrace sinners, right? He would welcome them. And he said, hey, listen, now, go, sin no more. Jesus is not looking to make us comfortable in our sin. Jesus is not making, wanting us to justify our sin. This is the way I am. I will never change. But I still want to be a Jesus follower. I want you to know, if you want to be a real Jesus follower, understand that he is calling you to a radical shift, a radical change in your life. You cannot follow him without giving up all your life. Amen. That is the gospel of the kingdom. Hallelujah. And any other gospel is false. And we have a lot of that going on in the American church. Come just as you are and stay the way you are. We don't want to offend your sensibilities, even if it means us preaching the gospel of Jesus. Embrace homosexuals. Embrace those people that you feel repugnant. But ask them this fundamental question. Do you want to be a follower of Jesus? If so, understand that he's calling you to radical change. Will you trust him to figure out this struggle in your life? If they say no, then you know they're not ready for the change. Still, you don't throw them away. You stay patient. You pray for them. You still speak the truth. That is the gospel. Amen? Amen? That's why we hear, believe. If you say you're changed, or you are changing, then you must be growing. Right? You might have come in cussing like a sailor. We're fine with that. We're fine. We're not uncomfortable with that. But there has to be a progression in your walk with Jesus. Right? You came in with bad habits. That's okay. We'll embrace you. Walk with you where you are. But we don't want you to stay that way. There has to be a progression in your walk with him. You must be better than you were yesterday. Change people grow. Amen? 
All right, I see I'm offending some people, and that's great. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Because I like, listen, Catherine Booth said this, there is no improving the future without disturbing the present. And if you're offended by the gospel of Jesus, then you must weigh your Christianity. Are you trying to be Christ-like or are you just trying to be religious? Because those are two different things. Amen. Absolutely two different things. <sighs> two more things. Jesus calls his disciples to costly obedience. Listen to me. God wants you to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. <clears throat> Jesus wants to give you the good things in life. But Jesus never promised it was going to be easy. That is the lie of the American gospel. Struggle, sacrifice are the bedrock of the foundation of, of the kingdom of God. Why? Because they go directly opposed at the values of this world. Amen. So this world says, get, get, get. Jesus says, give, give, give. And more will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. This world tells us in order to lead, you must stamp on others, step over others. Jesus says, no, lower yourself, humble yourself, be a servant of all, be a slave of all. Then you will rise to greatness. That is the kingdom, costly obedience. You actually have to do what Jesus says in order to be his follower, right? You actually have to. Love your enemies is not a suggestion. Here's a great suggestion. Love your enemies. No, it's a command. Love them. Don't like them. Don't tolerate them. Love them. That means be patient with them. Be kind to them. This stuff is real, people. And if you're struggling with that, just maybe, just maybe, you have subscribed to the wrong gospel. Jesus said this in Mark 8, 30, 34. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, here's the condition. If any one of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross. Give up your own way die die then follow me if you try to hang on to your life you will lose it but if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news you will save it that's what Jesus says give up surrender You've been trying to control your life so much. How's that working for you? How's that working for you? Trying to control situations. Trying to control people around you. How's that working for you? Give up your own way. 
die to self and follow Jesus. Obey him. It's costly to follow Jesus. Uh, Jesus, in fact, said some of you might actually die. That was not a hypothetical. It was not. John, who was beloved of Jesus, was thrown in a, a pot of boiling oil just to kill him. He did not die. He died a disfigured man, lost his sight. But still, he declares the message of Jesus. What become the, the American gospel is so comfortable. Don't get me wrong. We should pray for the persecuted church. But don't pray for the persecuted church when you don't understand that you're part of that church. You're part of it. People are being beheaded. And we're worried about whether we can speak our mind or not? Really? But that's what you get when you sanitize Jesus. When you all of a sudden take an Arab, a Middle Eastern man, and make him into a white man. That's what happens. You forget what he really was about. Because now he becomes comfortable for us. We follow Jesus from the comfort of our cultures. God forbid that he do anything to disturb our world. This gospel will cost you. <sighs> Jesus expects his disciples to forgive just as they were forgiven. For me, the biggest sin in the church is unforgiveness. If you are ever in doubt about how serious God takes this, listen to this, Matthew 6, verse 14. He says this. If you forgive those who sin against you, your Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. That's not a hypothetical. Let's not read into that statement. It is what it is. If you don't forgive, God ain't going to forgive you. That sounds mean, doesn't it? We just want a God who forgives us and never challenges us to forgive others. But he says, listen, if you don't forgive your brother or sister, I will not forgive you. I don't care how much you cry, you turn blue in the face, you roll down and give me your tantrums. I do not care. As long as you have unforgiveness in your heart, this is the gospel. I will not forgive you. Amen. We have been taught to say God forgives all sin. And that is true. But God will not forgive your sin if you have not forgiven others. So my question to you is, whom have you not forgiven in your life? And how dare you think God will forgive you? Jesus said some crazy stuff. If you're really paying attention, you begin to question, Do, am I really a follower of Jesus? 
The last one. Jesus expects his disciples to be hated because of their radical lifestyle. Did you hear me? Jesus expects his disciples to be hated because of their radical lifestyle. Not for their bigotry. Not for their self-righteousness and hatred. Not for the hate that spews out of our mouths. No. Jesus says, my disciples are going to be hated in this world. Not because they are self-righteous, but because they embody a different set of values than the world does. Let people hate you for the right reasons. Most people who will never step a foot in the church are mad at the church for the wrong reasons. They're mad at us because we're hypocrites. They hate us not because of we worship Jesus. No, they hate you because of what you say. How you put yourself on a pedestal. How you think you walk on water when you can't even swim across a spoon. That's, yeah, they hate you for that. So don't turn their hatred into they are persecuting us. No, they're not persecuting you. You are living the wrong way. That is why they hate you. I want to be hated for the right reasons. I hate Campbell. Because Campbell speaks the truth. I'm like, well, welcome. Thank you so much. Right? I want to be hated for the right reasons. Don't hate me for the wrong reasons. I hate Campbell because he's so real. Thank you. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I hate Campbell because he tells us when he messes up. That's okay. I don't want you to think I walk on water. I, I've, I've, I'm trying. I've never walked on water, people. I have come to the rude awakening. As I have prayed for this last year for the church in America, that the reason we are where we are is not because the world is against us because of the way we live. The, way, the, the world is against us because of the way we conduct ourselves. Have you heard what I've been saying this morning? What I have been saying to you was what made Jesus so attractive to those that were outside the four walls of religion. They, they, they came in multitudes to Jesus. Not because he did not offend them. One time Jesus offended people so much that they turned away and walked away from him. Jesus was not this nice, oh, uh, mushy feeling. Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus was real. When you read some of the things, he says, hate your mother and your father. I do not come to bring peace, but a sword. You're like, whoa, whoa. I thought you were peace-loving Jesus. He says, yes, I am, but understand that because of the way I'm calling you to live, there are people who are going to hate you because of your radical lifestyle. Not because of anything you say or do. Just because of the way you live. May God save the American church from our bigotry. Our hatred and our small mindedness. And may we begin to embrace the gospel of Jesus.
Let me conclude with this scripture. He says this. Matthew 5 verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Salt is supposed to preserve. When salt loses that ability to preserve, it's useless. You want American morals to change? Become the moral church. And I'm not talking just about us collectively. How are you living your life out there? On your job? In your family that don't know Jesus? In your community? How are you living? Are you preserving that environment? Or have you become so useless? You have no effect. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hilltop cannot be hidden. <coughs> you are not called to blend in. You are called to stand out. The natural reaction that, that darkness has to light is that it flees. I have people today before they cast, they tell me, Campbell, just excuse me. I know you don't like this, but I just got to get it off my chest. F-bomb. And now I could be offended. I'm like, oh, you shouldn't curse around me. But I'm going to acknowledge one thing. You understand that that's not how I live my life. And you understand that what you're about to say is about to offend me. And that's okay. But go ahead. Right? That means you're becoming an effect in people's lives. We need to revision. We need to reimagine. The kingdom of God. And reimagining it is so simple. We need to get back to the gospels. And so what we're going to be doing for the next weeks. Is we're going to be looking at the kingdom of God. As it is revealed. Not just in the gospels. But in the book of Acts. In the book of Romans. Throughout the New Testament. What does Jesus say about his kingdom? And I will just tell you this. Get ready to be offended. And it's okay. That means God is disturbing your present in order to create a better future. In order to make out of you an effective disciple in everything that you do. The amount of influence God wants you to have is nothing compared to what you have imagined in your mind. But we need to place ourselves at the feet of Jesus wide open and say, God, take all of me. Take out all this junk I've come to believe. And let me get back to the basics of your word. It's simple. Amen? Let's stand up to our feet.